What's up, everyone? Welcome into a post grand final edition of MBL's version of Ball in the Real World on ESPN. Of course, you guys know it's myself, Kane Pippen, alongside me, Peter Hooley, and Steve Smith, who are here with me each and every time we discuss the NBL. And it'll be a fun one today. Uh, I don't always, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a huge note taker. Guys, you understand that with me. You'll say, what are we talking about? I said, I'm not really sure. Mostly Steve. Steve's probably the most professional out of the three of us, for sure. Uh, but this time, I absolutely didn't need to plan anything we're going to talk about the kings a lot we'll talk about the jack jumpers we'll talk about what these teams are going to do next as well but the kings did complete the sweep and it kind of followed a familiar script the jack jumpers were a giant pain in the ass in this game three they were in game two as well and they were late in game one but ultimately they didn't have the guys to close out uh, any of these games but the sydney kings are the champions and i don't think any of us here are greatly surprised by this. But Pete, you predicted a sweep. I don't, I don't think it was a... I'm not going to give you too much credit for this for this being an outlandish prediction. But they did complete the sweep. But I don't think the Jack Jumpers surprised anyone in pushing every single one of these games to the final five or so minutes. Well, firstly, how's the audacity of the big fella came to sit here and talk about predictions that we had last time on the pod? <laughs> He brought it up that I said the sweep. You know, Steve, yes. you said they Kane, all his predictions straight down the drain. But we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah, look, Jack Jumpers, I mean, that they showed exactly what they did all season long. I think really it's the one team that they were always going to struggle against no matter when they played them. To be honest, I think every team was going to struggle against the depth of the Kings. But you take out Jalen Adams, it was just still going to be too much firepower for the Jack Jumpers to be able to grind out a win over 40 minutes. We saw the grinding out in game two and game three, especially. We saw what happens. I mean, they they hit some big shots as well. But when they ran out of gas at crucial times, which is always going to happen when you're playing against such a potent offensive unit like the Sydney Kings, Ian Clark decided to just tap in the 2017 NBA champion Ian Clark down the stretch just literally put them on his back down the stretch, but everybody else stepped up. And really, I, I predicted a sweep based on thinking that they would run out of gas in each game because they're playing the way they play, the style they play. It's it is tough. It, sometimes it's ugly, but they normally can get over the line. It's just the Sydney Kings were going to be a matchup nightmare. I think that's what we saw in the end. Yeah, I, I don't think that Tasmania, even at full strength, were going to win, you know, that game three. I just think that, as you said, the depth and the firepower just meant they just, they had to make every shot, that everything had to go perfectly for them. And that just doesn't happen, especially in, you know, the cauldron of a finals environment like that. Well, you say that, and it was interesting because obviously, you know, the word started to get around a few hours before the game that there was a number of members of the Tassie camp that were, that were quite ill. And there was a couple of players that missed, probably uh, none. That was a bigger loss as Jack McVeigh, who has become such an important part uh, on both ends of the floor, but particularly the offense. He's had some massive games throughout uh, the NBL this season. And so I sat back and said to myself, well, if Tassie are going to win this game, first of all, Josh Adams is going to go nuts. But secondly, they're going to have to go berserk from three. And when Josh Adams leaves this game early in the first quarter, with foul trouble, it's like, well, I don't see any way out here for Tassie. I, I think that they're, I think they're toast. Next thing, Majet's doing his thing, hitting the logo threes. Jock Perry comes out, airballs his first three, 
and then hits two more in the third quarter. And I, I think this is off, off memory, off the top of my head. I think they were 10 for 19 or thereabouts uh, from three at halftime. It was absolutely ridiculous. It didn't necessarily feel sustainable. But what they did was allow themselves to stay in the game until Josh Adams could start to cook. And then he took over in the third quarter. He took over early in the fourth quarter. But you're right, Hulls, it was Ian Clark. And if we stick with the Kings for a while here, he didn't start this game great. And to be honest, he didn't have a great grand final series offensively. Uh, but when they needed him, it was the three triples. And it was in two minutes and 14 seconds of game time where Ian Clark said, look, I know that I haven't necessarily been an offensive star in this series, but it's time for us to win the championship. We need to win this game right now. We don't have Jalen Adams. I'm going to step up and knock down these threes. And that was, that was what busted it open. Yeah, he was. He wasn't great. In, you're right in game two either. Like a lot of a lot of missed shots and a lot of forced shots. That when we saw in that clutch period, it was kind of the same shot selection but different result. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, again, this is why you bring him in. No Jalen Adams. We knew his pedigree. We knew he could do it. And certain guys are built for those kind of moments. And you felt like Ian Clark was going to do that. And once the first one went down, look, they got away with a couple of things as well. I'm sure we'll touch on it. There was a Xavier Cooks incident that I thought was potentially going to get looked at. In terms of just momentum, I still don't think it would have changed and helped Tasmania win that game. But then there was a moving screen where Ian Clark hit one. And Scott Roth was losing his mind. But in the end, you've, you've taken those shots. They were tough shots. You've got to hit them. And that's what big players do. That's why they brought him in. I think the other thing about Clark is that it's that pure shooter's mentality too. Like, as you said, you know, game two, same shots and different result, but it doesn't really matter to him. So he's still going to shoot. The, if he's open, he's still going to shoot them. So, you know, and even as, as um, Kane said, he didn't have a great start to the game, but he just kept kept firing them and look at the result. So to the grand final MVP, and we should, yeah, perhaps we should have actually started here, but Xavier Cooks, it's been a ridiculous season from him, uh, you know, to me. Pretty clearly the best two-way player in the league throughout the season. I thought he was very unlucky not to win defensive or best defensive player. And that's not obviously not a knock on Antonius Cleveland, who who won the award and, and Shea Early, I, I think was second and only lost by a vote or two there as well. But I was really surprised that Xavier finished third in that best defensive player. He told me specifically, and I know he's mentioned it, that he thought that he was a bit of a snub from that first team. I think he's right. But in this game, if if Ian Clark was the closer. You got 23 and 13 and seven assists from Xavier Cooks and Darrell Martin just put up the handy 22 and 17. But for Xavier Cooks, uh, I think he has been kind of a forgotten Australian player when you talk about calculations for national team selection. And mostly just because when you look at those tournaments and you think what the boomers have done, you think about the guys who are actually there, not the guys that were in training camp and perhaps got injured like he was in the 2019 World Cup and he wouldn't be there. He wasn't available for selection for the Olympics last year in Tokyo. So you can, I don't know if you, Steve, if you want to talk about his performance specifically in this game or just overall, but I think if you're an Australian basketball fan and you were watching this man play this year, it was just a nice little reminder that this guy is, I don't know, maybe a class above the NBR, man. He, he was spectacular this season. Yes, the team was loaded, but he was the connector for this team. Adams might have been the point guard, but Cook's facilitation, his ability to put the ball on the floor in transition and, and handle the ball, defending multiple positions, I just thought it was an incredible season. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I said before the, the series started that he was, and I picked him for MVP, finals MVP, simply because, as I said, he was... Shame on you for life. predicting a Jalen Adams hamstring injury, by the way. That's rude. That is rude. <laughs> 
this is silliness from you, Kane. And <laughs> I, I, I did say, though, that he was the, the Swiss Army knife that no other team in the league has because of that two-way versatility. And it is a really good reminder about what he will bring to the Boomers when he's available and, and fully fit because his game translates perfectly to the international game. The, the thing I guess I've been thinking about a lot, um, and it's something both Olgan and, um, and myself have both tweeted about, was him being in the NBA possibly next season. I think NBA teams should have a look at him. Um, I, I got a little bit of pushback online about it because people were like, well, he can't shoot and he's too small. Well, okay, but if you put him in a small ball lineup at the four, we're not talking about him starting. We're not talking about him starring. Like, but if you gave him minutes at that in, in that kind of role, there's no reason why he couldn't play in the NBA. I think that's it's the exact point of. But this is, we see this with NBA players in general from from anywhere. It's all situational, like going to yeah. certain situations, helping thrive. And I actually think that's going to be the same when it comes to the time for him to be a boomer uh, for the Australian team. Is again, what pieces do they have around him? And if it is Paris, you talk about obviously Joe coming back from what he's coming back from, getting older. Paddy, uh, still like the main guys. The boomers, when they look good to be successful, their role players are, are the keys. I mean, you look at Nick Kay, I'm trying to, that's a similar position to, to play. Is that Are they going to be able to work together in that role or do they need more of a standout? They're both not one-on-one scoring guys. What they are, uh, they glue guys. They do a bit of everything really well. And they do it differently. Nikkei is very fundamental, throws his body around. Xavier Cooks is athletic and uses his length and size. Again, I can't remember a player of late, Australian-wise, who can use that length, that size, that athleticism, as well as he does to have an influence on the game on both ends. So it's an exciting thing. And that's a problem for Brian Gorgian to figure out down the stretch. And then NBA teams, I think that he can provide so much more uh, than what we're just seeing. I think he's even still scratching the surface of what he's capable of. Uh, you're right, once he gets his shot, more confident. And it, this is not saying this man has to be knocking down three threes a game. It's not. It's more of, you, can you consistently knock down a couple over the course of time where defenders aren't literally just staying in the paint and saying, you are completely useless out there? Make them have to guard you a little bit and then that opens up the potential for him to put the ball on the floor and we know he can do that. Yeah, I don't think he's necessarily a guy that for for some players you can simplify it a little bit and say, oh well, they can't shoot, so you can't really use them offensively. But Xavier Cooks gets used in so many different ways on offense. He doesn't have to have the ball in his hands. We saw how damaging he was as a screener and his ability to roll, catch, pass. So he's he's more versatile than a guy that you would just pop in the corner anyway and say shoot open threes. It's not really the way he plays. So that'll be interesting to see what comes up. I would have to imagine. Uh, he'll be at least uh, playing some summer league basketball. He's, he's done it before in the past uh, and we'll see what comes of that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think absolutely a worthy uh, grand final MVP. I thought he was the obvious selection, but another guy who I thought was dominant, I already mentioned him, Jarrell Martin. And this is an interesting story. I, I didn't know this, that he was jumping straight on the plane after the game. But uh, when I, sh- I showed up to the post Media day, I was just asking where all the players were, who was best on in the celebrations, who who really took over. And they said, well, Jarrell Martin's already on a plane right now. He's up in the air heading back to the US. And I thought that was interesting because I left the proceedings at about one o'clock and I can guarantee you he was still there in full uniform, uh, drink in hand, looked like he was having a great time. So I thought, geez, that's pretty interesting for him to go straight to the airport. But his partner had a final doctor's appointment. Uh, they've got a kid on the way in the next two weeks. So he had his flight booked before the game and said, we're not losing this game. 
I am not going to Tassie. I'm getting on the plane. I'm going home to be with my partner for the next few weeks, the final few weeks of, of her pregnancy. And uh, I would say he played like that, Pete, with some of the rebounds, some of the physicality. He's a guy that's got great touch, great skill. But in this game, at times, he was just a straight-up battering ram. Well, you mentioned Xavier Cooks is kind of flying under the radar. I feel like Jarrell Martin's been under the radar all season long. He did, he did. Dale and Adams, but even Xavier Cooks, you bring in Ian Clark, Vasilievich had his games. And it's because I think it's just Jarrell Martin, his personality. For, for, you get to watch him. He's very unassuming the way he goes about it. And he's very quiet. You, you speak to him. He doesn't speak to the media too much. Uh, he just goes about his business. And, I mean, this man, when he came in for the season, uh, into the league last season, he was a beast. Until he got injured trying to fight through that, everybody thought this is an NBL caliber player. And when he starts to go, he can go. He's got a great touch. He steps out, knocks down the three now consistently well, faces up. He's got all sorts of different ways to score the ball. And what really impressed me the most about Jerome Martin over the last month or so, this man was taking charges. He might have been most charges drawn in the, in the over the last month. As a big who comes across and walls up, you've got shot blockers normally in those positions. This man was taking charges, putting his body on the line for the last few weeks. And that's what that's what helps the defensive unit as a team. If you're Sean Bruce, Swackler Bullock, knowing that one, you've got a shot blocker and Xavier Cooks. But if the other rotation is Drell Martin, then they're going to run straight into him and he's going to take it through the chest. Well, we uh, when we well, when I saw Xavier Cooks the next morning, Steve. He came over to have a chat and he just asked the question. He said, is there any possibility that I can sit down while we do this interview? He was moving very gingerly. He was very <laughs> sore. And in his words, the Jack Jumpers beat him up for three straight games. And I think we all saw that. But he did say himself that Jarrell would be, even, however sore he was feeling, uh, Jarrell's body would be even worse from all those charges that he took, Steve. Um, my question is, if Sydney lost that game, was Jarrell still getting on the plane? I imagine he would have stayed, but uh, it sounded like he was pretty, pretty desperate to come back. It, it wasn't. I mean, I, as, as far as I understand, she's due in a couple of weeks, but he really wanted okay. to be there for the final, final mm. ultrasound. Which, yeah, yeah. let's be honest, what a great guy. Yeah, absolutely, and the, the right decision, absolutely. But I just, it would have been interesting to see uh, see what he would have done and what the reaction might have been if he'd still decided to go. I think he might have. I think he might have kept on going. I don't know. I can't. I can't say how he would have possibly <laughs> felt though. But uh, we could go through all the players on this team. Uh, because we've gone through, I guess, the stars or I guess the big names that everyone knows and expected that they were going to have a big series. But just looking at the reactions after the game, uh, seeing all the families, seeing some of the guys, they're out on the floor. I was thinking, first of all, about Xavier Cooks. We already mentioned the stuff that he's gone through the last couple of years. But someone like Angus Glover with the knee issues that he's had and being able to play a real role on this team. DJ Pasevic, obviously with the Achilles and not to just come back and be a bit part player, but game two, one of the biggest NBL grand final shots of all time uh, to finish that game and everything that he went through. Uh, despite the fact that this was a star studded roster, uh, Steve, there were a number of stories and a number of guys on this team that probably thought at some point, uh, maybe they wouldn't get to that stage. Yeah, like as you said, like all those injuries and certainly, especially for Glover and, and DJ, I think, you know, um, those of us that have been watching Australian basketball for a little while and seen these sort of talents coming through, I think we've watched, you know, really wanted them to succeed because the, the talent is so clearly there and they're both really good dudes too. Like, and um, I think for, for DJ especially, I think just to hit that shot and then 
the unhinged reaction, I, I still can't really get my head around people sending death threats. Oh, my God. He, I just, what what are we doing, people? Like, I, I get you, you love your team and it's your first year, but chill a little bit, please. So I, I was really pleased um, for them. I, I think that was just, and, and it's a really good indictment, I think, on the state of Australian basketball at the moment. Like, we've got so, so much talent around and just to see guys like that succeed is, is you know, really, really good. I, firstly, when you talk about those DJ Vasilevic, the death threats, I would really like to think, and I believe that wouldn't have been a Jack Jumpers fans doing that. I think there would have been some other people sitting behind uh, a keyboard trying to be heroes. It is still disgusting. We're saying that we need to iron out in all all society, let's be honest, yeah. but especially pro sport. It's, it's, it's really sad to see and sad to deal with um, but to all that for all those stories. But the two stories that I like that we didn't mention there, Kane, was – Wani Swakalabula, you talked about what he came. He was a huge piece for the Kings. Puzzle. But the other one is Sean Bruce. Now, <laughs> played 200 games recently. This man was out of the league a couple of years ago. Played for the Bullets for a while, was out of the league, just backed on himself. And he's never going to be the guy who averages 15 points in an NBL season. But what he is, he's a guy that coaches trust. And we saw that from Will Weaver, but then we saw it from Chase Buford. In game two, seven assists, no turnovers without the MVP, just controlling things. He's a pest on defense, and what he does, he irritates a lot of players on the other team and makes them do little silly things, makes them get fired up. But that's another another guy I've got to feel really happy for. I know Sean Bruce and what he's been through. So there's so many individual stories throughout, and the fact that they could all get that joy in front of a record crowd of 16,000 people on a Wednesday in Homebush, yeah. That is the ultimate success, and that's what you talk about, Steve, with the NBL, the way it's going. The NBL doesn't succeed unless Sydney succeeds. That's one thing that's for sure. So Sydney need to be competing for titles every single year for the NBL to continue to go in its trajectory. So I think it's a great win for everybody, uh, and I'm sure there's probably still some sore heads uh, in Sydney and in Uh I do want to say credit, and look, uh, I will say uh, credit to the guys that were at the day after the grand final media event, Chase and Chris Pongrass and Paul Smith and Xavier Cooks, DJ, uh, they're all looking in pretty good shape. I have to say, they're either tougher than I am uh, or <laughs> they're, they're a mature bunch of men. So credit to those guys there. Uh, one last story that's close to my heart, boys, and you know this, uh, Chase Buford and Jalen Adams. Um, bit of unfinished business for those two boys. They're at the Wisconsin Herd. The pandemic ended. They had the best record in the G League at the time. They didn't get to win that championship. They come here to Sydney. Uh, they both said at the start, this is a goal. We have got some unfinished business. They were able to do it. Unfortunately, Jalen uh, wasn't there. Uh, his, his family, a bunch of family members were there, though. And uh, I can't confirm. I, I saw Jalen's mom, and she looked like she was having a brilliant time. And look, obviously, they would have loved to watch him play. He would have loved to, to play out there. But uh, they got a trip to Australia. They got to see the team win the championship. Jalen's the MVP. So hopefully uh, they feel like they've still had a good time out there. And I did see Jalen's mom get a photo with Andrew Bogut, who, by the way, Andrew Bogut and Luke Longley, after this game, there was a lineup of about an endless lineup of people that were just asking for selfies, asking for photos with the two seven-footers. And, uh, and they were very polite and allowed everyone uh, to get a photo. So shout out to those two guys as well but chase is you know for a first year coach and so young and i think this is something that we forget sometimes uh he's admitted along the way that there's some things that he's still learning and he's an emotional man and he's he's let that get the better of him uh, a couple of times through the season and he's he's obviously admitted that 
Uh, but he is, he's 33 and he's had incredible success. Obviously the family's had incredible success, but uh, to manage all these guys, get the right guys uh, that, that he thought would help this roster. And, and ultimately this is a team that had to win 13 games in a row in the regular season. They had to win 15 out of 17 and they still didn't have home court in the first round of the playoffs. That's what it took for them just to make the final four. They end up going five Oh in the playoffs. So I think, uh, Chase deserves a lot of credit as well, for sure. Where do, where do we where do we stand on you know Sydney as they as they as they're you know built now about them next year? What how do they look next year? What's what's that going to look like for everyone? Depends how much cashola they're willing to spend. That's what I would say. I mean, a number <laughs> of the guys that are going to be wanted, and they got Ian Clark on perhaps you know a discounted uh, budget. Mm. Hadn't played in over twelve years. Came over in the mid season. I would imagine whatever they were paying Jalen Adams, he probably deserves more. Xavier Cooks would deserve more money. So would Jarrell Martin and DJ Vsevic and all these guys. So how much money are they willing to spend, uh, Pete? <laughs> well, I mean, again, championships don't come around very often. Just look at how long it took Sydney to get back to, to here. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they, they've been very loud about saying how they're under the cap this year. So again, if they were to bring back a lot of the same people, you'd have to envision that that won't be the case. But again, it doesn't matter if you've got the opportunity to do it and you know you have a chance to win another title, then it would be a no-brainer. And you mentioned the, the Jalen Adams and Chase Buford thing. This reminds me back to media day where I sat down with Jalen Adams. By the way, if anyone who's never actually spoken to Jalen Adams, he <laughs> is one of the characters you'll ever oh, have yeah. in pro. He is hilarious. He's open. He talks. But I said, when you come into Australia, you're excited about Australia. So what, what do you want to get out of Australia? Thinking that he would say championship. And he turned around to me and said, I want to see a kangaroo in the wild. Now, hmm. I'm told that he still has not ticked that off because I said, oh, there's plenty of good little sanctuaries around. You can go over there and, and check. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I want to walk out of my apartment and see a kangaroo in the street. Hmm. Now, he might have better luck if he's staying in Homebush to walk out and see one around hmm. there. But I'm not sure whether he can tick it off. So unless they can make that happen, maybe he doesn't say it's a really successful time in Australia. Geez, you'd be waiting a while, Steve. I reckon there for uh, to see a kangaroo go bust the front door, but who knows? Who knows? It could happen. Oh, look, what, about... could, what if he? What if he just headed to Albury Wodonga, just watched the Lauren Jackson game, and you know, mm. you could you could definitely see one there. Kangaroos, goats, all sorts of animals uh, hanging around <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, a Lauren Jackson game. But uh, also Paul Smith, by the way. I mean, this guy talks a lot, and he's very open. He's I, I personally, and and you know, not everyone agrees with me, but I personally enjoy. The banter, I enjoy uh, his yeah. public nature of the way he goes about it. Uh, and this was a man that was sprinting around uh, the post-game celebrations yelling. I don't know what he was yelling, but he was very happy. He was enjoying himself at that moment, and as he should, and uh, and as the whole franchise should. And I guess before we finish this up, everyone's spoken about the Jack Jumpers. They were absolutely unbelievable. Um, there's no question about that. Uh, I guess the big question for them, they've locked up uh, basically all of the local players uh, the question will be the imports. And uh, I believe all three of those guys have said that they would love to come back and be a part of this again. And why wouldn't they? Like I said, I was down in Hobart last week. What a beautiful part of the world that is. Just a sensational place. I don't know why players wouldn't want to live there. I would go down there in the summer. It's beautiful. It's not too cold. So I think the Jack Jumpers should be able to uh, recruit players. But the question is, should they be trying to bring the same three imports back, Pete? Or do they need... Uh, a little more offensive punch because ultimately uh, they suffered the same fate that I believe Melbourne United would have if they had gone through to the grand final series. They would have been outscored and out firepowered. 
Look, I think it's tough because of the story. And again, the, what they've done, the emotional connection with the fans, with Tasmania, with everybody from those, the whole team is really strong. I mean, it's the only players in the pro team that the Tassie fans have seen. I think right now it's been put, you got Josh Adams is going to have to be the one they definitely try and bring back. Some of his shot making in the clutch was unbelievable. And again, he just tried to will them over the line in some ridiculous uh, shot making ability. It'll be interesting with the other two because Josh Majet, his stat line in game three was incredible. This man yeah. was close to a double. No turnovers, I believe, and just controlled everything. That'll be an interesting one. But again, I think Mikhail McIntosh is one they'll probably look to upgrade to, to get that firepower. Because um, make no mistake, you think about, okay, Sydney will want to try and run this back. Melbourne United will want to make sure that they get their next season log. Brisbane have promised some big changes to try and get things right. Perth's coming back with a vengeance. New Zealand, if they get their home games or even some more home games, they're coming in ready to have a splash. So I don't think they can afford to be able to maybe stay the same, maybe go up a little bit. You've got to really come back in your second year and try and jump even further up. And with no possible changes to your Australian locals, maybe that even means, look, we have to get all three new imports. Maybe that's where they have to think about that. But, mate, I, I would venture to guess if that was the case, both Josh Adams and Josh Majette would find themselves on another team in the NBL. I think they've proven they can have a good part in that still. Yeah, you run the, the risk of, like, you've caught lightning in a bottle for one year. You, yeah. if, if, you, if you try and re- repeat that, sometimes that can go really, really wrong. And especially if you don't, say, get the results early in the season, then it all, you know, falls apart real quick after that. So, yeah, they, they're going to have to take a long, hard look at what, what they want to do. It's going to be really interesting, the off-season. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a, you call it a sophomore slump, really. I mean, it, as yeah, a team... Yeah. The emotion's not going to be there of what do we look at. It's everyone's, you've gone from zero expectations to now you've got a bit of a dartboard on your back where people are coming for you. Like people know, Tassie did this last year. Melbourne, if you're the Phoenix, if you're Perth, like Tassie got to the finals over us in their first year. We are trying to put the pain on them next year. So you're spot on that that is a, a thing that they're going to have to try and think about. And again, I get, it's a challenge you want, right? No, it's, it's a challenge that you want for uh, CEO, for everybody involved, and you want to keep challenging yourself to be the best you can be because the league isn't taking a backward step. Uh, absolutely not. And, you know, we think about Perth, who, for whatever reason, probably a number of reasons, had the collapse that they had uh, there as well. And I think Melbourne, you know, obviously the Golden injury in Game 3 was... Uh, you know, costly for them. I don't think it cost them a championship because I don't think they could beat their Sydney team. But there was just a number of factors along the way, as you suggested, that probably tells you that making the top four or making the play-in, uh, as we will have next year, is is not going to be uh, an easy task. It's not going to get any easier. But they were awesome this year. The fans are awesome. And just one last point, Steve, you did mention uh, the fans and all that sort of stuff. The one thing I will say, when people are saying, well, Jack Jumpers fans need to show more class, let's be honest, every sports team in the history of the world has a you know a small section, a very small section of fans that will cross the line. So it's nothing against the Tassie Jack Jumpers. They were superb fans and uh, gave superb support all season, as did the Kings fans, as you mentioned. 16,500 felt like a pretty appropriate way to wrap this season up, Steve. And perhaps this is an appropriate way to wrap up this podcast. Absolutely. Like, look at the look at the NBL now. As, as I said, it, it wasn't that long ago that it was really, really irrelevant and was paying, you know, media um, companies to to broadcast games. Like, it's just where it's where it's been and where it's come to, night and day. And I'm so excited to see what the next season brings. 
I saw your tweet about that. I didn't want to reply pub, uh, publicly to people on Twitter. People who hear this podcast can understand this. When you say that where the league was, when I was coming out of college in 2016, I was all <laughs> set to sign Crocs and I was excited to be able to come back home. Went to bed yeah. in New York, woke up, and there was no such thing as the Crocs anymore. And I yeah. was the but the NBL is in a bit of an interesting way right now. Larry Kesselman comes in. Where we've gone from just that in a matter of a short period of time, there are some big things ahead. And look, I'm sure Kane's heard, of course, Steve said, I've heard just little whispers of what's to come leading up to maybe the end of this year, but definitely next year. There is a lot to come, and it's really exciting. Um, we'd love to see some NBA preseason games back. I'm hearing those whispers as well. That's mm-hmm. just the beginning. I think that's just a little taste of there's some even bigger surprises to come. And this is a testament to all that everyone who doesn't stop working. There's no off-season for the head office, so good luck. Well, this is the last podcast of the NBL 22 regular season, but Hall's just hinted to it. We've got Summer League coming up. We have got free agency, and the season starts in October, so it'll be here uh, before we know it. So we'll leave it there for this one. Congratulations to the Kings. And for myself, Peter Hawley, Steve Smith, we'll catch you guys next time.